thank you to our team who made all of this happen. Um, this is always, every year, every semester, this is a labor of love because you are loved. And so um, that's it. You're loved, and we love doing that. And we're really excited about this study. So this is the time of the morning where I'm going to introduce you to our study and introduce kind of the parables to you. Um, probably most of you are familiar with the parables of Jesus. We know about the story of the prodigal son, maybe. That's, that's gone past church and you know into the world, actually. The parable of the Good Samaritan. These are stories that we've heard, and so we're really excited about doing this study. It has been such a fun project. Um, studying under Alice, learning from Alice, that was an unexpected sweet gift that the Lord gave me last year. And so just want to tell you a little bit um, about our study today, but I want to start off telling you about um, a thing I have with one of my friends. Now, back in the days when I first moved to Dallas and I didn't have any friends, I got to start over. And maybe you don't like the I like maybe you don't think I got to start over. Maybe that sounds horrible to you. But for me, it was a lot of fun. And so I met new friends. I started making new friends. And of course, I'm drawn to people who have the same interests as me. And one of my interests is grammar. I am a grammar nerd. It is just who I am. And so I was automatically attracted to other grammar nerds as my friend. And Emily and I became friends. We started hanging out and we would often make little jokes to one another about grammar, believe it or not. And one of them was um, over the word inappropriate. So FYI, there is no such word as unappropriate, okay? The word is inappropriate. The word's not inappropriate, but the word itself, okay, y'all got it, inappropriate. And so um, one day when we were hanging out, something just ridiculous happened next to us, and my friend Emily goes, man, that was so inappropriate, it was unappropriate. I'm glad y'all got it. Okay, so, and it kept going, and so we kept going, and so it got to the point where she would just say, or I would say, well, that was inappropriate, but it couldn't last because our pride got in the way because we would say inappropriate, and being the grammar nerds that we are, people around us would think that we were using bad grammar, so that one went away, so we stopped saying that. But another one that stuck around was because a friend of ours always used the wrong words at the wrong time. She always got her words mixed up. And one day we were out to dinner and she came, uh, our other friend came up to me and she was like, hey, will you go to the bathroom with me? Because I have a public restroom fetish and I don't want to go by myself. <laughs> and I said, do you mean phobia? Because if you meant fetish, I'm not going. <laughs> and she was like, Yes, yes, phobia. I have a phobia. And so my friend Emily goes, well, she spelled that wrong. <laughs> and so something then that stuck around was every time one of us made a little mistake or did something silly, we would say to the other, well, you spelled that wrong. And that one has for sure stuck around. So if you ever hear me saying that, now you know the story. But most of the time when Emily and I say that to one another, the others around us know that we're making a joke. They know that something's funny is going on, but they don't know exactly why we're talking about spelling when somebody dropped their water. 
They know that we're making a joke, but they don't know the real story. Do y'all ever, do y'all have things like that with your friends or your family? It usually because something happened, it comes out of camaraderie or a shared experience, these inside jokes. We have these friend codes that we talk in, right? Well, believe it or not, we are not the first ones to invent that. Believe it or not, the friend code has been going on for much longer than us. And that is one way that Jesus actually talked. He talked in friend code, believe it or not. Jesus used parables to both reveal the joke and conceal the true meaning. He used parables to both reveal and conceal exactly what he was talking about based upon um, who he was talking to. And he used these parables to inaugurate God's kingdom to both reveal and conceal based upon the hearer. And so since we will be studying one of Jesus's parables each week and going through all of this, I thought we needed to do a little overview of the parables. And so we're gonna ask three questions today. What is a parable? Whom are Jesus's parables written for? And why are we studying Jesus's parables? Well, what is a parable? All right, well, the Oxford Dictionary, that's always the first place to go. The Oxford Dictionary says that a parable is usually a short fictitious story that illustrates a moral attitude or a religious principle. Okay, great, easy enough. When I was working on this, I hollered upstairs to my 10-year-old and I said, hey, Kate, what's a parable? <laughs> like not knowing, you know, the daughter of the pastor growing up in the church, I was a little nervous about what was gonna come out. But she said, a parable is a story that Jesus made up to go along with reality and to teach them a lesson, right? I was like, oh, that was really good. Can I, yeah, I'm gonna use that. So thanks. But here's the thing, Jesus's parables were not just moral lessons. They were so much more. They were an announcement of his kingdom. They were an announcement of what was to come. Um, but it's, but we can't keep going, sorry, if we don't define the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God is not like, it's not what we picture like Disney World or Cantalot. The kingdom of God is very different. The kingdom of God is this, it is the spiritual realm over which God reigns as king. That's a very simple definition. Now, we could spend an entire semester studying the kingdom of God, but today we'll just use this definition. The kingdom of God is the spiritual realm over which God reigns as king. And so when we talk about inaugurating the kingdom of God, of Jesus introducing the kingdom of God, of him ushering in the kingdom of God, what we're saying is Jesus was teaching them how to bring fulfillment on earth of God's will. Jesus was teaching them how to bring God's will in the spiritual realm here on earth. Can you imagine what that would be like? that everything is the way God desires. And so that is how we will think of the kingdom of God, bringing God's will here on earth. Now, when we continue on in parables, there's another definition I wanna tell you about, and this is from Klein Snodgrass. Klein Snodgrass wrote this gigantic book on the parables, and he had this incredible definition. He said, parables are the imaginary gardens with real toads in them. They create an imaginary world that reflects reality. Imaginary gardens with real toads in them. As you're reading the parables, you can think about it a little bit of that way. 
Now, a lot of times when we read scripture, we begin by asking the question. We'll open our Bibles and say, how is this about me and my relationship with God? But what we talked about last semester when we were studying Genesis and some very wonky, difficult stories, we realized we can't start that way. What we have to do when we start reading the Bible is say, what does this tell me about God? Okay, but with parables, we're gonna take it just one level deeper and we're going to ask a different question. How is this about Jesus and his inauguration of God's kingdom? So when we read a parable, when we first start, we're going to ask this question, how is this about Jesus? Just like the stories we did in the icebreaker, I now know that Judy Gafford can do the splits and I know a little bit about more about her life. And so when we read these parables, we're learning about Jesus. We're learning about his mission. And so we're asking the question, how is this about Jesus and his inauguration of God's kingdom? Only then, once we ask that question, can we begin processing how we are a part of God's kingdom, how we relate to what he is saying. And then that begins to speak to us. But not until we ask that question. How is this about Jesus and the inauguration of God's kingdom? So continuing on in what is a parable, Jesus wasn't the first to tell parables. Actually, the Old Testament is full of parables from the prophets. Um, One example is in the Old Testament in 2 Samuel 12, where Nathan the prophet, he comes to King David. And King David has just ordered um, Uzziah to be killed, and he's not repentant of it. He really is kind of oblivious and unaware about his own sin. And so the prophet Nathan comes to him and tells him a parable. He tells him a story in 2 Samuel 12. And it is that story that David realizes how wrong he is and he begins to repent. And so this parable was used actually to confront David's sin. And so there are lots of parables in the Old Testament, but The difference with Jesus's parables is what I've been saying. Um, Rather than confronting the Pharisees with evidence, rather than confronting them with facts and figures about how they were wrong, um, parables were often used to disarm. They were used to divert attention. They were used to bring a different perspective. And Jesus did this brilliantly. He did it brilliantly. And Jesus' parables serve the purpose of his larger mission, which is to inaugurate what? God's kingdom. Bringing God's heavenly reign into reality here on earth. And which for Jesus, that was to show people how to live with the true heartbeat of the creator. To show people how to live with the heartbeat of the creator. That is what Jesus was introducing, creating a new kind of reality, a new kind of society, a um, new kind of family. And isn't that what we as Christ followers desire? To desire to live in God's kingdom day in and day out and experience the reality of what his kingdom brings. The Apostle Paul calls us the ambassadors of Christ, and therefore, we're not just to enjoy the kingdom of God. We are to represent and to usher, to bring with our own actions, love, and obedience the kingdom of God through the way we live, through the way we love, and through the way we obey. So let's think about it this way, okay? When Jesus came, 
He didn't look like everybody else. His actions didn't fit in with everybody else. He acted and he behaved differently and it caused people to stop and pay attention and go, what's up with this guy? (laughs) Yet oftentimes they rarely understood. They would accuse him of blasphemy, of heresy. They didn't understand what he was doing, yet he was introducing to them a new way to live. And when they still didn't understand, He told them a parable. He told them a story. And his parables, they were actually commentaries. They were, you know, we use commentaries as an additional resource to understand scripture. Jesus' parables were like commentaries on what he was doing. They were an additional resource to understand exactly why his behavior looked a different way. It was this indirect form of communication that Jesus brilliantly used for those who had ears to hear. It was to give them better understanding. But who were those who had ears to hear? Jesus said in Matthew 11 that let those who have ears to hear, let them hear. Well, a better way to ask that would be, whom are Jesus's parables for? Well, Jesus's parables had a distinctive stamp from others because of what they were about, the inauguration of God's kingdom. This is what I want y'all to know when you leave this place. What are the parables about? The inauguration of God's kingdom. And we're going to say that over and over so that we know that every time, okay? For the most part, Jesus' parables focused on humans and everyday life, their normal activities. And Klein Snodgrass, remember I referenced him who wrote the big book? He put it this way. On the surface, Jesus' parables are not accounts describing God or the world of animals and nature. They are narratives of normalcy and mirror the commonness of first century Palestinian human life. The life of farmers, shepherds, servants and masters, women, fathers and sons, and occasionally kings. Their humanness makes them interesting in their own right, but by mirroring them, they seek to change behavior and what? Create disciples. So they didn't always depict a true story. They were fictional stories. And Jesus used hyperbole. He used shock. He used dialogue. And he would often present them with very improbable situations that forced them to make a decision. And now, and getting ready for this study, I have been listening to a podcast by The Bible Project on parables. And when I first, when I started the very first podcast about parables from Bible Project, They set it up brilliantly in studying the life of a Palestinian farmer. And so that's exactly what I want to do with y'all today. I want to get into the life of a Palestinian farmer, of a first century farmer in Galilee, near the area where Jesus was doing his ministry. I want to introduce you to it the way I was introduced to it a few months ago and was really immersed in the story and understanding. And so we're going to think about this farmer Jedediah. We'll call Jedediah a first century Galilean farmer, and you are married to Jed, or maybe maybe Jed's your dad, or whatever you want to imagine in the situation. Just know, like, you're in relationship with Jed as we're telling this story, okay? So Jed is the family farmer, and he has been farming this family land for generations. You and Jed have been farming this land. He inherited it from his father. You came alongside and y'all are doing this together. You're just outside of Galilee and this has been the family's land for several hundred years. And your life with Jed is dominated by the fields, by family, um, and by the synagogue. 
Because you, you grew up singing psalms. You grew up reading scripture and learning all of this, telling your children the stories of the prophets and the kings. And you're very well versed in the scriptures, which was the Old Testament we would know. It's what they were studying. And you were very well versed in this because at night when your family came together, y'all didn't go to separate rooms and watch Netflix on four different TVs. You came together and you read the scriptures and you sang songs and you told stories. And so all of this was very familiar to your life. And Jed tells the children this. He says, this is the story of how the God who gave your family this land is not just the God of your tribe, but the creator of all. And he chose your family to be the vehicle of his work among the nations and to bring blessing to the nations. And since the time of Joshua, our people have been unfaithful to God. So he gave our ancestors over to exile and he allowed other people to rule our land. And as Jed is sharing these stories, you reflect on what you know. You recall that this land belonged to your ancestors, but they were exiled. And after they were exiled, then your family land was ruled by Assyria, Babylon, Persia, Greece, and now the Romans. And the Romans are everywhere. They are all over your town. And the Romans tax collectors are in your town. And the soldiers who guard the tax collectors are in your town. And it doesn't feel the way it used to be. It feels like a military, militarized zone because of all of the Romans. And so Jed, every time he harvests his crop, he has to take a full wagon to the tax collectors and give them a full wagon of the harvest. And he has to pay a ridiculously excessive amount to the ones who are already in power, already have money, and he's not happy about it. As a matter of fact, these fees from the tax collectors are so steep that your cousins have had to sell their land because of tax burdens. And so they're still working their land, but now as slaves to a Roman owner who doesn't even live there anymore. And the tax collectors... The tax collectors are corrupt. They charge little service fees on top of what you owe in taxes. And we're not talking shipping and handling. We're talking Airbnb service fees. Exorbitant, high service fees. The kind that Matthew, remember Matthew, who's now a disciple, he was formerly a tax collector. These are the kind of fees that he used to charge before he followed Jesus. And so for the last 40 years, this is how life has been for you. For the last 40 years, it has just been trying to get ahead, but the Romans trying to take you out every time. You don't have a leader who represents you. Your taxes keep going up. No one represents yours and Jed's interest. People are going to, into debt, and people are being sold into slavery to pay their debts. And so your life with Jed is all about debt, about slavery, about selling land, acquiring land, working someone else's land, dreaming of finding treasure, and of course, farming. Farming fig trees, olive trees, fruit, wheat, harvest time, seed time. And when you're not worrying about the big stuff, you're baking bread, you're sweeping your house, you're looking for lost things, and this is life. And this is hard. 
There's a lot of poverty around you. And this is part of the human story in first century Galilee. But here you are. You know the scriptures. And so you are fueled by the hope of what's coming. You are fueled by the hope of the story that you were raised on. Your people have hope because God said he's gonna send a ruler who will represent your interests, who will come back and dwell in the temple and kick out the bad guys. He's going to send a king. And so this is what you're holding on to is that God will send us a king. And so one day you and Jed are home and you hear about this itinerant prophet who has made his way into the land. Now, you've talked about John the baptizer. John the baptizer is proclaiming that the kingdom of God is coming. And you've heard that, but here's this other prophet who moves around a lot, and he's claiming that the kingdom of God is here and now. And so you're wondering what's going on because he's announcing that God's reign and rule is happening now, but you're looking around and you're not seeing this king and this promise that he talked about, right? And so this guy, Jesus, he's healing people, he's freeing them from demon possession, and he's doing things that only the prophets of the scriptures that you talk about, he's doing things that only they did. And so one day when Jed was taking the wheat into the harvest and he went into town, he heard that Jesus was down the street and was talking, was talking to people. And so Jed says, you know what, I've got time. I'm going to drop off my harvest and I'm going to go down the street and I'm going to listen to Jesus. But Jed gets there and of course it's crowded. He can barely see Jesus, but he can hear Jesus talking. And this is what Jesus is talking about. We know it from Matthew 4. He said, Jesus said, this is what the kingdom of God is like. A man scatters seed on the ground. Night and day, whether he sleeps or gets up, the seed sprouts and grows, though he does not know how. All by itself, the soil produces grain, first the stalk, then the head, then the full kernel in the head. As soon as the grain is ripe, he puts the sickle to it because the harvest has come. Well, Jed's a farmer. This obviously makes sense to him. This is what he just finished doing. This is not near as interesting as he thought this guy Jesus would be. Jesus is just talking about what he does everyday life. And he's like, this? This is the kingdom of God? But Jesus keeps going. He says, what shall we say the kingdom of God is like? Or what parable shall we use to describe it? It is like a mustard seed, which is the smallest of all seeds on earth. Yet when planted, it grows and becomes the largest of all garden plants with such big branches that the birds can perch in its shade. Well, this obviously leaves Jed with more questions. I mean, all of this makes sense, but what what does this have to do with the kingdom of God? This is just talking about raising crops. And so unimpressed, Jed's like, I'm going to go back to work. And so Jed goes to his field and he begins working again. But this story, this story is lingering in his mind because that's what Jesus' parables do. They linger. And he continues to think about it. And he's thinking the kingdom is like a man who farms and it's like seed that grows. Small seed that becomes a large tree that birds can nest in. And he's working the field and he's thinking about this. And it's about that time that you happen upon Jed and you see that he's obviously lost in thought. Maybe Jed has finally lost it. Maybe the sun has officially got to him because he's daydreaming and you're ready to just go clean the barn. But Jed keeps going and he turns to you and he was like, so the kingdom of God is like me. (laughs) What? 
The kingdom of God is like a farmer who waits for the crop to grow and then he harvests it and the farmer doesn't know how it grows. It just kind of mysteriously does it overnight in its own time and then all of a sudden it's ready. And you're like, what, Jed? (laughs) Honestly, you think he's lost it. But Jed remembers something. And here's the thing, Jed remembers in the scriptures, God promises freedom in the new covenant. And he promises new creation. He remembers Isaiah who said that God's word is like a seed, that when he sows it in the ground, it doesn't return empty. And he remembers that strange dream that Daniel had about the tree that grew and it was big and birds nested in its branches. But that was Babylon. That dream represented Babylon. But then... In the scripture, it says that Babylon will be replaced and the tree would get cut down and replaced by the kingdom of God. And this, this is it. This is what Jesus was talking about. Maybe Jesus has been reading the same scripture I've been reading. He knows the same stories I know. And Jed begins to understand because these are just like the parables of the Hebrew Bible. These are little stories that when we take time to ponder them and and time to go over them, and when I go about my daily life and everything I'm doing, I begin to understand what Jesus is talking about. But he talks about it in this concealed way that only those who desire to understand the kingdom will understand. And those who don't have the time, who are only concerned about themselves, who were only concerned about their money and their wealth and their possessions, they don't understand. And they just say, this guy, Jesus, he's crazy. Who does he think he is? And they go on about their way. And so this, you and Jed, this is who the parables are for. And maybe when Jesus comes back to town, Jed will go hear him again and again. And he'll begin to look at his own life in light of what Jesus is teaching And he will begin to ingest this understanding of the kingdom and begin to apply it to his own life. And for those who don't have ears to hear, they'll just go on about their way and it won't be a big deal. But those who are longing for the kingdom, those like you and Jed who have been waiting generations for a king to come and deliver you, for a king to rescue from the oppressive Rome, to rescue you and redeem you from the exhausting ways of society, those who are looking for a king will find the king. And they will find it in these stories that Jesus is telling. And so that leads us to our last question. Why? Why are we studying the parables? We already know Jesus is king, so why do we study the parables? Well, because truth matters. Because this is Jesus' friend code. It's his wink across the room. It's the way he spoke to those around him, not just about the kingdom, but to change the world. And it's what we said earlier, so that we may know how to bring God's heavenly reign into reality here on earth, so that we can live by the true heartbeat of the creator. So that we can live by the true heartbeat of the creator. What would happen? What would happen if each one of us brought a tiny piece of the kingdom into reality? Can you imagine what this world would look like? 
Well, that's exactly what we're going to be studying this semester. So get excited.